Hi again, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Sean Kelly. Greetings today from the Osher Sports Performance Center at the practice facility for the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans. We're home this week. Hallelujah. How about that? Although the basketball team goes back on the road later tonight. And Daniel's looking across at me with his eyebrows furrowed a little bit. Pelicans just back from that 11-day, five-game trip. And we're all still, of course, holding on to lingering thoughts regarding the NFC Championship game. Um, it's not a good mood, as you might imagine, in this building as it is not around the city as well. But we bring a little ray of sunshine here on a cloudy, rainy day with our guest. It's Jim Henderson, the play-by-play voice of the New Orleans Saints, Emeritus. We'll see how he reacts to that title when I throw it at him here shortly. But it's been a long time since we've had Jim on our podcast, and I thought that he'd be kind of that perfect guy to have after the um, after the ball game on Sunday. Just some perspective from somebody who's seen so much and knows how to take the pulse of a game and a situation and a city and a fan base and get him to kind of share his thoughts uh, after what he saw in person at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome this past Sunday, um, what it means for the future of the Saints and the NFL, and and also to reflect back on a couple of finer moments of what actually was a fantastic season for the black and gold. So a fantastic guest today. Jim was a, a part of the broadcast. We'll talk about that particular piece as well during this um, upcoming visit. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, maybe hearing a story or two about his free time because he has more of that these days as well. So I think this is a good one for us. Uh, a good rainy day podcast to take in. A good one here. A couple of days removed from the loss to the Los Angeles Rams. And, uh, of course, we'll talk a little more basketball next week. But certainly a moment to reflect today with one of the all-time greats and a dear, dear friend, Jim Henderson, our guest on the Black and Blue Report in just a moment. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Sean Kelly. Well, we are most pleased certainly to welcome in can I call him the voice of the Saints Emeritus? Maybe that's fair. Jim Henderson's with us here on the Black and Blue Report. It's been a long time since we've had Jim here. He's probably looking at the lake right now, wondering when the rain will stop and the fish will be ready again. Jim, how are you, my friend? Well, you're right on all counts, Sean. I'm not sure about the Emeritus part, but I have been watching the rain all morning. It's just uh, moved in again, and I'm watching some of the birds work the lake and wondering if there's some bass out there to be caught once this rain finally does end. Yeah, January's always the worst month. I can only imagine. How's your health? Everything good? Family's good, Jim? Everything's good. Um, no complaints whatsoever. Um, I've enjoyed watching the Saints this season, only a couple of times, including this past Sunday in person. Uh, but every Sunday, Monday, or Thursday uh, on TV up here in Mississippi, and it was a great year. It sure was. There's a lot of good to reflect upon. We'll do that, certainly. I'm going to get your thoughts on how the game finally wound up on Sunday in just a moment. I do want to uh, bring up the fact that Zach Streif invited you back to share in what, mm-hmm. using a, a broadcast term here, the scene set for the NFC Championship mm-hmm. broadcast. So obviously your longtime listeners and Saints fans all across Houdat Nation got to hear your voice again, which I'm sure was great for them. Well, thank you. I don't know how many people are out there or are, are out there at that time of the broadcast, but I was very flattered by that. I, I just thank the world of Zach. Um, he's been wonderful to me throughout the course of the season. I've tried to um, be uh, returning in kind, that sort of, of, uh, of 
knowledge and openness that he has. But, yeah, he called me last week and said, I've got a proposal for you. I'd like you to come on and do the open to the broadcast. We'll keep it a secret. Just come up and do it, just kind of a, a tribute to my emeritus status. So mm-hmm. that was very nice of him to do it. He's a, he's a great guy. I think he had a great year. How, how did you go about preparing for it? Was it like getting back on an old bicycle again? Sort of. I, I told him afterwards I was more nervous about that minute 30 uh, reading a script at the open to that broadcast than I was doing three and a half hours of Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl 44. So uh, I was glad to have it over with. But yeah, I, I tried to try to put things in perspective and um, tried to do what I did in the past. But um, it was a rough day. It really was a special moment that turned into a rough day. And Jim, I I have to ask, because we're all trying to climb out of this hole, it seems that was created on Sunday. How best do we do that? Can you help us? gain some perspective on what we saw, or even if there is any perspective to be had? I'm not sure there is any perspective. I mean, some of the things that have occurred since, I think, are, are a bit silly but understandable, given the frustration level of the fans, the, the court suits and the ideas, picking up the game at that point or replaying the game. I, I even think, and I spoke about this um, to the people at Channel 4 yesterday, I really don't even think that the idea of a, of a a parade is a, a very well-thought-out one or will occur, but I can certainly understand that this came out of the frustration of Saints fans, the frustration. I've been around this team for 40 years. It's never been this bad, and, and rightly so. I hope we never see anything like this again. Did it hit you as suddenly as I've heard from some, Jim, when the when the penalty was not called? Yeah, and that was right down at the end of the field. I know you were on the field at the time. I was up in the corner of the auxiliary press box down at that end of the field, and you were just incredulous. I mean, how in the world do you miss that? Of course, it's all been talked about since. That the, uh, the cornerback for the Rams even admitted that he uh, had interfered, which obviously he had. He gets up looking for a flag. There's no flag there. I mean, that play will be dissected uh, to the end of NFL history. Can you think over your time in calling the NFL – Jim, can you think of another time where one particular penalty or non-call in this case was as impactful as perhaps this one was? Well, I remember early in my time um, with the Saints broadcast a couple of games against Atlanta where there were a couple of missed calls, uh, one of which the NFL came back and said there was an error. I think it was a Grover Clemmer flag in the end zone. Uh, Jim Mitchell, I think, was the tight end for the Falcons, and they called a I think an interference call against the Saints that the NFL later backtracked on. But certainly in no game as consequential as this, and I think that's what makes this stand out even more. And you can go back not just with the Saints, but in NFL history, and you really can't find a similar play given the consequences of that call being made right. It, it certainly is. It's up there on any list that I've seen. And, Jim, I, you know, I, I talk to folks nationally about this situation, and and they're somewhat quick to point out, you know, other factors in the game that played into the Rams' mm-hmm. win. Um, are we mm-hmm. too close to it here in New Orleans? Do we love the Saints too much that we can't see past the one moment in time? Well, I think there's something to be said for that. Obviously, there are other um, times, especially early in that game, when the Saints had a chance to lengthen their lead instead of settling for field goals in the red zone. There was the they still had a chance to, to win the game in overtime with the first possession and. Certainly the thing, there were things the Saints squandered that could have resulted in victory. Uh, but that one play, without question, um, decided the game. Everybody has talked about it and seen it forever. The Saints are going to get that penalty. They're going to first and goal around the five or six-yard line. They're going to bleed the clock down to virtually nothing. 
they're going to kick a chip shot field goal and, and head to Atlanta in two weeks. Jim, what does this do to the legacy that Sean Payton and Drew Brees and that core have built? Um, is it as impactful as it seems here just days out? Well, I think it might have been had the Saints not won a Super Bowl. If this was their first and only chance to get that far, yes, I think it would have impacted his legacy. But I don't see this impacting the legacy of either of them in the long run. Uh, the people that I feel sorry for are the players, who, many of whom will never get a chance to go to a Super Bowl. Careers are so short. Uh, they're on the precipice of, of heading to the Super Bowl, and suddenly it's yanked out from underneath them. There'll be a lot of guys on this roster. There'll be a lot of people on the staff. There'll be people in the front office um, who will never get a chance to go to another Super Bowl. That's just the way it goes. Now, it may happen as early as, as next year, but I think the odds are probably uh, against that. Uh, it's such a long and tough journey. And those are the people I feel sorry for. And people in the front office and people on the staff who are probably looking forward to a bonus, looking forward to taking their, their family to Atlanta, um, the culmination of a, a long, hard year in which people put in incredible hours, to have this totally stolen from them, I think those are the people I feel most sorry for. There's the word, stolen. <laughs> Jim, I've heard that word more than any other, I think, this week. And I'm glad to hear you say it because it gives it some validity. Well, I don't think you can look at it in any other way, Sean. I mean, uh, people have a lot of ideas of how to rectify this, and if you're interested in hearing mine, uh, I, you know, everybody talks about, well, this is certainly going to be a play, a pass interference that will be under review. Well, even though Bill Belichick has pushed for this for years and has some validity, I don't see this being something that can be contested throughout the course of the game. Now, obviously, it is the most impactful call and probably the toughest one to call uh, in any NFL game. Um, but my thinking would be this. In the last two minutes of the half, in the last two minutes of the game, and throughout overtime, you've got a replay official upstairs. Give him the burden or the opportunity to erase, overrule any egregiously bad call. And it just doesn't have to be pass interference. It could be uh, an offside that blunted a drive. Something that every, every person watching on TV around the world is seen as wrong, and yet the officials on the field have totally missed it. You've got the technology. Uh, this is something that is not going to be used a lot, I wouldn't think. But give that replay official or someone in New York, in conjunction with the replay official, the opportunity to overrule egregiously bad calls in the last two minutes of the half, the last two minutes of the game, and overtime. That might be the right mix, Jim, of human and not human. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like for example, in baseball, I don't want to see an automated strike zone. I like having a right. human body calling balls yep. and strikes. But yet, and you're mm -hmm. a fan of tennis, the technology used now to determine whether a ball is in or out in a tennis match at the pro level great. is fantastic. So there has to be mm -hmm. some balance. Maybe you've struck a chord there. Well, look at what you witness all the time in the NBA. I'm not um, totally up on your rules, but how often do the officials – call a timeout to see whether it was a three or not and to eventually overrule that or the degree of a flagrant foul or other activity like that. The whole idea of replay is to get it right and to ignore it under these circumstances just, I think, uh, cast the entire league in a bad light. That's true. That's true. Uh, Jim, as you know, uh, and maybe I'm a little off, but I think I'm fairly accurate in saying that New Orleanians uh, can hold a grudge uh, here and there. Mm -hmm. How long should we hold this grudge? <laughs> 
Well, I think for some people they'll hold it forever. Uh, but you can already see, and this is how uh, this is how New Orleanians cope with disaster. <laughs> this is a lot of Saints fans of disaster. The humor that comes out of it, and the satire, and the Facebook posts, and all the photoshopping, I think is really funny, and I think in many ways um, helps alleviate some of that pain. I was talking with the people at Channel 4 yesterday about the fact that, can you imagine how many times Roger Goodell and the NFL officials are going to be pilloried during Mardi Gras oh. with all the costuming and everything that will go on? <laughs> and I guess probably a lot of people will be resurrecting their hate Roger Goodell T-shirts from Bounty Gate out of their theater chest. That's very, that's very accurate. I like that. And, yes, it will provide a giggle here and there, uh, that's for sure. And, Jim, I don't want the moments of this past Sunday to overshadow what was truly a remarkable season. Help me look back, if you don't mind, at some of the highlights, even for you, in, in watching this team progress. Well, watching what Drew did and the fantastic year he had and the records that fell again, um, you know, I'm a little um, upset what happened to P.J. Williams overnight, but for the most part, this is a, a group of guys that you could really root for, and you're with them a lot more than I am. Uh, but to see these guys in the locker room and see the class with which they comport themselves, I think this was truly a team you could get behind and root for. And I'd have to say that in years past, uh, that wasn't always the case despite their success on the field. This was a group of really good guys who were community-minded, who bought into New Orleans, who, who said and did the right things for the most part throughout the entire year. And uh, when you look at what Alvin Kamara did, and you know, I, I heard somebody say today, in fact, uh, I was talking with somebody with the Saints, and they were saying one of the things they were most sorry for the end of the season was the fact that Ben Watson uh, wasn't even able, even able to play in that game and was on his way back to Atlanta, didn't even get a chance to play in what was, now looking back, the final game of his career, things like that. I mean, here's a guy that is just is such a wonderful guy, and you wonder what he'll do after after his career now is over because he's got such great empathy for everyone at every walk of life. You'd love to see him have a greater impact on society than he's been able to have as a as a player in the NFL. Uh, that's a great point, no doubt, and one of the true great citizens of the NFL that you and I have gotten to spend some time with. Truly, truly a remarkable individual. Jim, players, coaches, fans, all alike, uh, whether they wanted to say it out loud, in some cases they did, and in many cases they didn't, they used the loss at Minnesota nearly a year ago as fuel to a new fire and, uh, you know, a kind of a touch point to launch into a new season. Can they do that again? Is, is there some way to replicate that, or is this a completely different situation? Well, you look at how many people should be returning from the core of this team and how young, for the most part, they are. Certainly there will be some changes made and some additions made. There will be some people in free agency. But for the most part, the difference makers should be able to return to this team. Um, I would hope that they can. You know, you never know what the next season will bring. Look what it brought for the Vikings this year after the year they had last year. And you, you see it all the time in the NFL. You can't ever predict, unless you're a fan of the Patriots, I guess, what they're going to be doing from year to year. So you would hope so, but only next year will tell us if that's the case. I don't. I said the other day I didn't even want to watch the Super Bowl after what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm still mm-hmm. in that mindset or not. What about you? Will you watch the Super Bowl? I'll watch it just because um, you have to watch the Super Bowl if you're a sports fan or if you're a, a broadcaster. I wouldn't want to have another have a Super Bowl come and go without having seen it. 
But I think, and I said this last night on, on Channel 4, and it's probably wrong, but I think these are going to be some record low numbers for the video, for the, the viewing audience of this Super Bowl. Because it's tainted, I think, for both teams, certainly for the Saints, but also for a degree to the Chiefs. I don't think many people outside of New England are going to be excited about uh, the Patriots back in the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years. But the Rams really don't even have a following in Los Angeles, much less a national following. So um, I really don't, unless there's really, really bad weather around the Northeast, and that could be the case, I think the television audience is going to be impacted by the way this season ended. Uh, I think it's going to be a miserable week for Roger Goodell, and when he gets to Atlanta and has to hold his press conference, uh, this will be the theme of the next week and a half up until game time. You'll see that play, uh, the non-interference call, another thousand times. Uh, look at how Atlanta was impacted by this. You know, I know the mayor was head tongue-in-cheek when she said anybody but the Saints to come to Atlanta. Well, we'll see how many people come all the way from Los Angeles to spend the week in Atlanta. Let's see how many people from New England and yet another Super Bowl uh, come all the way to Atlanta when they're in it almost every year. Uh, how much different it would have been had the Saints been in the Super Bowl and brought their contingent of fans to pack hotel rooms and to really change the city, much like they did in Miami for the Super Bowl that they won, Super Bowl 44, or Kansas City, the opportunity to play um, with those, the youngest, one of the best young young quarterbacks in the NFL, and and one of the best uh, old quarterbacks in the NFL, and Drew or, or Tom Brady. So I think it's um, it's going to be impactful on a number of levels. Ah, the ripple effect, my friend, just like a good cork hitting the water at the end of a line. You know what I mean? <laughs> a fishing analogy. Wow. Now, are you talking freshwater or saltwater? Well, since I go freshwater with you, I'll I'll do that. So. <laughs> Yes. Hey, one last thing, hey, Jim. One, Go ahead. Go ahead, please. One, one more thought on rule changes. Yep. Because everybody's talking about them. I think another thing you'll see addressed in the off season, and maybe this will be easier than instituting instant replay to address a pass interference or non-pass interference. I think you'll see the rule in overtime change. It's already been tweaked once after the Saints in 2009. One in overtime, winning the coin flip, taking it downfield. Jared Hartley wins the game. A couple of years later, it was changed that you could win the game with a touchdown, but if you kick the field goal, the other team gets a chance to, to touch the ball. Well, we again saw this past Sunday in the Chiefs game that whoever wins the coin toss takes the ball down the field against an, a defense that's been on the field way too long and is gassed, just like the Patriots did against the Falcons uh, in Super Bowl 51 take it downfield and score a touchdown, game over, Kansas City never sees the football. I think that I think that will change, if only for the playoffs. There's no reason why it shouldn't for the for the, the playoffs. And I think I read a statistic that uh, Tom Brady has been involved in overtime in three games with the Patriots, and his opponent has never touched the ball in all three games. Oh, man. I didn't know that stat. That's pretty telling. And Jim, you're right. I don't think during the playoffs it should make a difference because we're not talking about, uh, you know, tight TV windows at that point of the year. That's right. Yes. That's right. And then it would also bring into it also bring into effect uh, kind of like what happens in in the college game. You could win the coin toss and defer, and then realize what you had to do should the other team score to win. If they come down and kick a field goal, you can go down and score a touchdown and win, or you can score a touchdown and go for two and win. 
It would bring in another element of the game that I think would be enjoyable. And like you say, this is not in, in regular season where you've got tight windows, you've got second games, you've got a, a prime time schedule. You, don't, you can't have a game that goes on forever. I can understand that. But in the playoffs, when you're supposed to be determining the best teams, why not? I agree. No ties in hockey, no ties in World Cup. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Jim, why don't you go and be on the competition committee this spring? Well, uh, I think Sean is, isn't he? Yeah. He has been. More voices, the better, I say. Yeah, now, heck, his will be a very loud one, if not uh, in the majority. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, lastly, on a personal note, um, for the first time in about three decades, you had your fall weekends to do with whatever you so chose. Um, mm-hmm. Jim, was there anything in particular this past fall that you did that you wouldn't mind sharing that perhaps you'd never were able to do before on a fall weekend? Well, I've got a son-in-law who works on the Auburn uh, training staff. In fact, he's the head trainer at Auburn. And in the past, I've always been able to, I've only been able to go see them if they were home during the Saints bye weeks. This uh, year, I happened to go to the LSU game, which is a very consequential one for both teams. So that was enjoyable. Um, just having the opportunity not to be so locked in, and you know how that is, day-to-day during football season and under a self-imposed pressure of today I've got to get this done, tomorrow I've got to get this done, to have time to kind of savor things I really enjoyed. Uh, Monday mornings were a lot better when uh, if the Saints have lost, not having to get up and go through a very long day. So those things were all enjoyable, but I miss the people, and I realized that Sunday I'd only been back to two games this year, the Washington game in the regular season, and then the one this past Sunday at, at, at Zach's invitation. But it just brought home to me how much I love being around this team, and especially the people in upstairs, the camaraderie, the brotherhood. Um, it really it really brought it home for me how lucky I've been to be that close to the team. Yeah, we miss you too, and it, it was a joy to see faces light up when they came around a corner in that press box this past weekend, Jim, and see your face. So. Thanks. I'm glad that Zach invited you. I'm glad that you accepted. It was great seeing you. I'm certainly glad that you're able to visit with us today, too. Well, thanks so much, Sean. I look forward to seeing you uh, up on the lake sometime in the offseason. Count on it. There he is, my dear friend and, of course, the legend, Jim Henderson, with us on the Black and Blue Report. Well, it was everything that I thought it would be and more. Another great visit with Jim Henderson, and we thank you for being a part of our podcast today as well. This Wednesday edition has been a special one to have Jim Henderson here with us uh, on the telephone and originating from Studio B at the Osher Sports Performance Center. Another Black and Blue Report podcast is yours on Friday. Uh, Ashley and Caroline will have that for you. Don't forget Daniel Salerson and myself are excited to call Pelicans basketball tonight at home for the first time in almost two weeks. As a matter of fact, Pelicans and Pistons at the Smoothie King Center on this Wednesday night. Then a quick road trip up to Oklahoma City to take on the Thunder on Thursday back home on Saturday to finish the week at home against the San Antonio Spurs. Thanks as always. We appreciate you very much. We look forward to brighter days ahead on the football side. It will be the case. And uh, have, as Jim said, a little giggle, a little laugh, and um, dive into the satire of the situation as well uh, here in the coming weeks as we head for Mardi Gras and those festivities uh, too. That'll all help us turn the corner, I think. You'll agree on that. I'm Sean Kelly. I'll see you next time here on the Black and Blue Report podcast.